Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Well Tempered, a podcast about the smart, creative, and crafty women in the chocolate industry. This is part of a series of mini-sodes with women in the fine cacao and chocolate industry who talk specifically about some of their roles and the things that they do to bring to the world great chocolate or amazing opportunities within chocolate. My guest today is Chloe Stemmler of Maru Chocolate. Now onto the show. I'm so honored to have Chloe Stemmler with me today. She is dialing in from Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning. <laughs> Good evening. Yes, all over the world. Well, just let everyone know on the other end of this podcast that you are actually in the Maru factory, and that's why if they happen to hear a little bit of noise, it is literally because you find yourself next to all of the wonderful machines and processes that make Maru chocolate come to life. Indeed. <laughs> so why don't you walk us through a little bit about what your role is at Maru and how long you've been there, maybe a little bit about how that position came to be. Sure. R&D manager at the Maru factory. I do a lot of tests. <laughs> I work mostly on um, monitoring the quality of our chocolate and how adjustments in our process will affect the quality of our chocolate and also monitoring how, whether our beans are changing, whether the flavors are changing. And I work a lot on development of new products. So this could be like a new, you know, if we have a new origin of beans or if we want to make a new richer chocolate or also some products that we'll sell at the cafe that we opened about a year ago in Ho Chi Minh City. At the cafe, we have the opportunity to do sort of some different bars, so some flavored bars or bars with inclusions or holiday special event bars. So I work a lot on those types of products. Also special event products, sometimes if we're sponsoring an event, we get a, a request from a specific client. And just to confirm, so if we have any people that are visiting Vietnam, they can now see you all in the south, in Ho Chi Minh City, and also a soon-to-open cafe called, again, like the other, Maison Maru in Hanoi. Yes, that's true. Fabulous. Uh, in, yeah, uh, that'll be opening hopefully by the end of the summer. <laughs> hopefully, yes. <laughs> we all understand construction deadlines. Yes. Talk us through a little bit about what your background is with chocolate or pastry skills that led you to take this R&D position. I've been really passionate about chocolate for a long time. I was on a semester abroad in Panama during my undergrad studies, and that's the first time I visited a cacao plantation as part of uh, one of our classes. And I was totally in awe and inspired by just how beautiful the plantation was, how dedicated the farmer was to running it in a responsible way. And yeah, I just, I really did fall in love with cacao. I wanted to go back. <laughs> I, I actually asked the farmer if after my studies I could come back and, and work there for a month just to learn more about cacao. And for reasons I still deeply regret, I never did. But uh, I do remember the farmer's name in Panama. Orlando is listening. I would love to go back to your farm. <laughs> Maybe I'll find him again on one of my travels. 
I came away from that farm and I was like, I want to learn more about cacao. I want to go back. I ended up going to pastry school just after my undergrad studies because it's always been a huge passion of mine. And so I wanted to give it a chance and see if that's what I wanted my career to be. But in the back of my mind, I was still thinking, I don't want to give up on everything I studied in undergrad, all the agriculture and environmental sciences. Uh, I want to keep going and I want to learn more about cacao and the crop cacao, not just chocolate and working with chocolate, but I want to learn about how it's grown. So I applied to a, a master's program in agricultural development, focusing on agriculture in developing countries, which is where most cacao is grown. So I knew that that would give me the opportunity to learn about tropical agriculture and to maybe do research on cacao, which is what I ended up doing. I did my, my master's thesis research in Ivory Coast, across the whole southern region of Ivory Coast, speaking to a lot of cacao farmers. That's great. Just curious if at the time you were beginning this master's, you had any idea that cacao was grown in Vietnam? Um, no, I never really thought about Vietnam. I think it's such a surprise for people that they learn chocolate is made there and also that the crop is grown there. And that must have been kind of a interesting moment for you to have eventually received the phone call or in whatever format it came that you would be working at such a factory. And I would love to hear a little bit more about Ivory Coast and what specifically you learned from the farmers or what you were trying to gather from them? I was doing my second year of the master's in Montpellier and there's a well-known tropical agriculture research institute there called the CRAD and they do a lot of research on cacao. So I contacted a researcher from there who's done all of his work in Ivory Coast and he offered me a project looking at analyzing results of fertilizer field trials that had been conducted over three years on farmer plots. So it was a little bit different. A lot of research is conducted on experimental plots. But in this in this study, they said, okay, we're going to test fertilizer across the entire region with farmers on their actual plantation. And the objective was to look at why results were different from one farmer to another and from one region to another, and also study farmers' reactions to it and whether they would adopt using fertilizer or what were the challenges to it. You know, of course, there's many different approaches to agriculture. One philosophy is that, especially in West Africa, in Ivory Coast, where cacao has basically, it's been cultivated by expansion. So farmers have expanded into all the possible forest area that there's been in this region to grow cacao. And basically, there's almost none left. And so there's nowhere left to expand. So it might need to make more money off of their plots of land, which they do, they need to intensify a little bit, which is not necessarily something that I am really enthusiastic about. But And Chloe, intensified, do you mean amp up the productivity? Yeah, basically find a way to get more money on the existing plot that you have. Because, you know, there's just common acceptance that most farmer yields, especially in West Africa, are lower than what they could be. And so they could produce more on that land, they would be better off and make more money. I don't think it's necessarily the (laughs) root of the problem. I think the main problem is that they just don't get paid enough money for their cacao, whether they're making 400 kilos per hectare or one ton per hectare. I think you can't just ask farmers to produce more and that's how they're going to make a better living. Mm, 
I'm sensing, yes, an absolute love affair with cacao, as you mentioned, from the moment you started this program in Panama. And I love that you asked Orlando, if he's listening, that he could find you (laughs) and that you can go back. And now I sense also from you this passion and care for the people of Ivory Coast and certainly the other areas of the developing world where cacao has grown. What do you see happening where you are now in Vietnam that maybe has led you to further understand the way that farmers work at this origin or similarities, differences? Yeah, well, Vietnam was super interesting because it's completely different than when you go visit cacao growing areas in Ivory Coast. I mean, it's much less of an adventure to get to a cacao farm generally. I mean, maybe also it's the ones that we work with because they do produce good quality and they receive a good price. But I was just shocked the cacao plantation is actually like their garden behind their house. They usually have relatively nice houses compared to especially where I was in Ivory Coast. So, you know, for me rolling up to the farmer's house and just having their cacao just kind of in their backyard and to get to their house, there are paved roads and it's actually very easy. That was to me like quite, (laughs) quite a shock. That's the main difference. And then also... There's less subsistence farming with the farmers that we work with in Vietnam compared to all the ones I met in Ivory Coast, which were also subsistence farmers at the same time. But the farmers in Vietnam tend to grow a lot more cash crops and don't do as much subsistence farming. Is it generally right alongside someone who's also farming coffee or is it a completely different activity for the farmers that Maru works with? Um, In some provinces, there is quite a lot of coffee very near cacao plantations, especially in the highlands and Daklak. There's a lot of coffee grown up there, and there's also cacao. But actually, not that many of the farmers that we work with grow both. But other common crops are pepper. Fruits are very popular in Vietnam, and they can be sold for a pretty good price. So on the local markets, pomelo and durian fruits and dragon fruit. Yeah, pomelo and pepper, those are crops that are that are pretty profitable. So so farmers tend to have very diversified productions. Fascinating. In a way, you've also trained your palate to be accustomed to some of the fruits, vegetables, or just the natural terroir of Vietnam while you've spent your time there with Maru share with us how your position as R&D manager or your experiences thus far have prepared you to perform your job better? Well, of course, you're always inspired by the local ingredients and the local food that you experience when you're in a new place. I mean, I'm somebody who loves cooking and who loves pastry, and I've moved and lived in a lot of different countries, and each time I move, my style or what inspires me changes a little bit. So in some places, I'm much more inspired to make different pastries out of what I find there and I different ideas pop into my mind about what I feel like making. That's always fun when you you get to go to a new place and then be inspired by the ingredients that you find there. I work mostly on our chocolate bars especially that we're going to export but I work very closely with the chefs who work at Maison Marou and they are for the most part French chefs so They're also new to Vietnam, and for them it's also very fun to experience the local ingredients and try and be creative and think about how to best use these ingredients that they're maybe not so used to working with or that they might not have been inspired to use when they were working in France or elsewhere. Of course, we always have these ideas um, based on Vietnamese ingredients of, oh, we could make a chocolate bar with this. 
And we're always asking ourselves, do you think Vietnamese people would like it? Because we, you never really know. We tend to think like, oh, by using Vietnamese ingredients that they know, it'll be this great product that Vietnamese people just instantly like. But you never know because chocolate is not a traditional Vietnamese food. They're not used to eating chocolate. And so you never are really sure what products they will like. But for the most part, it's often appreciated when it does have a Vietnamese ingredient that they do recognize. And you're mostly speaking here surrounding the pastries or what's on offering at the cafe spaces, Miss Maru. But if we were talking about chocolate bars that you ship internationally, and if there's anyone listening who has not tried Maru, we strongly encourage you to get your hands on some. It's beautiful chocolate with an incredible identification of, of terroir in different provinces of Vietnam. You've also recently come out with some flavored bars or inclusion bars, I suppose they might be called. And then just mentioning what you had said, Chloe, about how there's that balance of what will be acceptable and interesting for the foreign market and what locals might find interesting. What goes into that consideration when you're launching something for the product line that will ultimately hit international shelves? You know, one of the core values and the core to the story of Maru and to the brand of Maru is that we make we make chocolate in Vietnam from Vietnamese cacao. And basically our product, we want our product to come from Vietnam. We are branching out into flavored bars and the inspiration was that sometimes in one of the origins where we source our cacao, there's also, you know, another product that is very common in that province and that represents that province. So the first bar that we launched with the flavor was coconut milk bar. And so we use cacao from Ben Che province in the Mekong Delta. And that province is very known in Vietnam for being also the big coconut producer in Vietnam. And so it was a very logical match to marry coconut with um, cacao from this province. And so we like that idea and we like that concept to branch out into different flavors. So then our next idea was coffee because that's also an ingredient that goes very well with chocolate. And it's also a flavor that is, you know, it's nothing too different from what maybe uh, the international market has seen. So it'll probably be liked. It's important for us to just make products that we like as well and with tastes maybe that won't shock us either compared to what we're used to eating. You know, coffee and chocolate was kind of a natural fit and we use coffee uh, from a coffee producer in the same province as where we source our cacao from in Lamdong province. Great. So I'm going to go back to essentially the beginning of the questions that I sent you. And that was in understanding a bit more about how you're involved with innovation and product development at Maru. You're focusing a lot of your time currently on roasting and creating roasting profiles for the cocoa beans. So I was hoping that you could share with us a bit more about what that process is like for you. And in general, such, you know, an internationally recognized brand creating not a large amount by any standards of industrial weight, but more so just a a very burgeoning craft market company. And if it is difficult to replicate particular roasts. We can start one by one, but it's more so that first part of how you came maybe into that roasting position, what that process is like. Sure. Yeah, I did do a lot of roasting for Maru at the beginning um, when I first arrived because actually my, my first position was production manager. And at that time, the production manager was also responsible for roasting the beans. Right now it's changed a lot, the organization of factory, because it's growing quite a bit. 
but I did start out doing a lot of roasting. And yeah, now that it's, I'm not roasting as part of our operations process, so I have more time to focus on testing different roasts and, you know, which kind of roast gets the best tasting chocolate in the end. I mean, replicating a roast is quite easy. And I mean, while there is variation in the beans in terms of humidity and also flavor, um, especially flavor differences, you're not going to fix it by adapting the roast because your beans are a little bit different at this time of the year. That's the thing about being an origin is that especially me, I tend to get overwhelmed with how different our beans are all the time because we, we know so much about the beans. <laughs> And we're, you know, receiving deliveries from the same farmers every month. And we know how different each bag is. I think it's kind of this psychological thing. I think if I were a chocolate maker maybe in the U.S. and I were just ordering beans from someone and receiving them in my factory without knowing too much information, not, I mean, most craft makers do know quite a bit about the farmers and their beans, but just the fact of receiving beans, you kind of, psychologically, it's easier to think, okay, these are the same beans as the ones I had last time I ordered from them, and this is the profile I get from these beans. And you tend to think that there's more that you can control yourself because you're working with the same beans as you had last time. So everything you do from there on is all you that can control it. But when you're working in origin and you're so close to the beans, you know that, you know, even with one farmer, they're getting slightly different beans from one month to the next because the fermentation was a little bit different. You, you kind of accept that, well, there's going to be variations in the beans and you probably can't just adapt the roast to get the exact same flavor as you had last time. Because ultimately, if there's a different flavor from a different fermentation, I don't really see how the roast can really fix it. So I try to step back more and just think, okay, you know, does a higher, does a higher, shorter roast give a better flavor to our chocolate or should we roast it for at a lower temperature a little bit longer? And so I'm constantly with our origins, and especially new beans from new farmers playing with um, high, low roast, <laughs> seeing, seeing just what makes it taste best. But you know, I, I don't believe that we can adapt a roast to get the same flavor that you had last time because there's other factors that are going to change that flavor. Right. Yeah, I mean, it is an agricultural crop and then therefore harvest to harvest, even in your case, bag to bag, week over week could change. I find your answer so interesting because I guess I had in my mind that in the same way, perhaps we have a friend that we haven't seen in many years and they have shorter hair than when we got to know them it seems like a, a shock of sorts and then if you were with them day after day after day maybe you wouldn't notice the little tweak in the cut in their bangs or the trim of their hair but it sounds like you guys are so closely and intimately related to these beans that even the slightest differentiation really shines through in, in how you make the chocolate so i appreciate that insight from you do you feel that overall maru has a style of roasting Whereas a coffee roaster might be, you know, very dark roast or medium roast, light roast, you've taken on kind of as a whole, as an entity, a particular version of, of how to roast? Well, Sam and Vincent, they weren't chocolate makers from the beginning. So they, when they decided to make chocolate and they just reached out to as many people as they could to learn about chocolate making. And so often in the, the craft chocolate world, makers tend 
to roast a little bit lower to keep all those fine flavor notes in the cacao. Um, so we do roast at a fairly low temperature. For me, that's not always what I prefer. Uh, it works with some beans, but some beans we notice taste a lot better if we if we roast it a bit higher. But in general, yeah, so kind of adopted like the general style what most craft makers say they do is sort of low temperature roast. And we, you know, we roast to taste actually. We don't just plug in, you know, time and temperature and then uh, have the, a standard way. I mean, we're, we're tasting the beans as we're roasting. So I like to think that, you know, if the beans were, you know, more humid, we're tasting them anyway. So we'll, we'll give them a couple extra minutes that they need if these beans were different from last time. So that's for us kind of the particularity of how we roast is that we do roast to taste and we're very, yeah, we're very attentive to, uh, to each batch. That's a good point. So I'm going to move on here to the statement that, and even in one of the recent awards I have noticed and others have noticed, that there's this concept or vernacular of tree to bar, which is gaining attention. And I have read on your bars the terminology pod to bar, <laughs> which is cheeky and I'm sure has its own origin story as well. But within that gaining popularity in origin countries who, and to explain for someone who might be listening, traditionally that's kind of the, the term that's been dedicated to people that are either growing the cacao directly on the land that they own and then therefore turn the beans into chocolate there, or even source within the same country of origin to chocolate. We kind of talked about this, but maybe it's just to dive a bit further. What has the feedback been from local consumers who maybe know nothing of this terminology, and it's not relevant necessarily to their day-to-day -day life, but yet they've come to understand that you are now a paramount leader of fine chocolate and confections within the country they may call home. I don't think that a lot of Vietnamese people have ever heard about the expression tree to bar. They're definitely very impressed that we make chocolate here in Vietnam and that the cacao comes from Vietnam. That's pretty exciting to them. But what's also been part of Mario's success in Vietnam is Mario's success outside of Vietnam. And I mean, it's I find it a little bit unfortunate that, yeah, sometimes a foreign brand or a foreign company is um, is higher esteemed than a local company. So the fact that they know that Maru sells chocolate all over the world uh, and that we have success elsewhere in the world, that's definitely helped also sales in Vietnam to have that kind of recognition. Mm, okay, so maybe the better leader question on that would have been, if the Vietnamese are eating chocolate, what is their chocolate of choice traditionally? How are they generally partaking of it? They don't eat a lot of chocolate, but there are, you know, like the foreign candy bars that, you know, the American brand that you find everywhere, um, Kit Kats and Snickers. But for the most part, they really don't eat a lot of chocolate. Gasp. <laughs> it's, it's new to them, but it's, you know, especially Ho Chi Minh City, but Vietnam is experiencing tremendous economic growth. Ho Chi Minh City is very cosmopolitan. There are you know, a lot of people in Ho Chi Minh City that have enough money now to discover new things and new products, and they're very eager to discover foreign products. And you know, French pastries are exciting to Vietnamese population that 
has enough money to to discover these new things and you know they're very very eager to experience the same lifestyle as uh and the same products as you know in the u.s in japan and in, in europe so there there is a an in small still but increasing population of vietnamese that is able to experience chocolate and discover maru chocolate wonderful Yeah, I mean, you guys have certainly, in in my own thinking, a very bright future internationally, but no doubt within country of origin. I'm sure that's deeply ingrained within your business plan of what that will look like in the next few years. Absolutely, and we've been very impressed by the success that we've had in Vietnam over the last year, and especially spurred by the opening of the cafe in Ho Chi Minh City last year. That's really contributed to much more sales in Vietnam and so and so it's a good sign that it's a highly esteemed brand in Vietnam and that people are very open to to chocolate and to discovering chocolate so yeah and to no doubt mochas because as i can recall from my visit there they love their coffee they do love their coffee <laughs> just stick it in a beverage get their first taste through there yeah that's what we do and chocolate beverages are very popular at the cafe We make hot chocolate and we make iced chocolate. And yeah, it's very popular with Vietnamese. All right. Chloe, what is the biggest joy you get out of your job? <laughs> I love doing tests and I love making my little discoveries about, hey, this works better than this. Wow. It, I'm, I love being surprised by, oh, hey, this is noticeably better than this one. You know, I like, <laughs> I like doing my, my little tests and my mini grinders. And I also really love creating new products. Um, I love it when I have a specific request or, you know, I know that there is an event coming up or a holiday coming up and I kind of get to just be creative and test whatever ingredients I like. And I'm always super excited when in the end people are happy with it and it tastes good and it's a little bit different. So um, yeah, that's my greatest joy is creating, creating things and testing things. With that, I'm sure that every day is different and wildly yeah, sure. different by that end. But do you have something that you could walk the audience through what maybe a semi-typical day would look like? A semi-typical day would be, yeah, starting out and going around the factory, monitoring how the chocolate's doing in the machines, monitoring the temperature. If we're going to empty, monitoring the particle size. So just, yeah, generally walking around and seeing how everything's going. Um, and then usually I take care of my tests. So I usually have something going on in my little mini grinder. Uh, I'll take care of that or I'll have done a test in our production area. Um, it, it can vary really a lot because I'm also sort of a one person team. So, you know, if I want to make a new bar with, uh, you know, lime or ginger, well, I go out to the market and I buy lime and ginger. <laughs> you know, those things can take up a good part of my day because I'll go to the market, buy some lime and ginger, I'll peel it, I'll dry it, and uh, I'll make my test batch with it, and then I'll have to temper it. So, yeah, my, my tests do take up a lot of my time. It's hard to really describe a typical day. Um, if there's an issue, if, you know, if there's always issues that come up, um, issues with bean quality, if that's the case, then um, I'm usually tackling that and seeing what happened and 
checking out the flavors, seeing if it's okay or not. And then going directly to the farmer, or do you also then have a chain of communication that you would tell this to Samuel or Vincent, and then therefore they need to express what might have gone wrong in a harvest or in a fermentation? I'm usually working closely with our sourcing manager. Her name is Twee. She's amazing and has a really good relationship with all of the farmers, and she does most of the bean selection. So she's visiting all the farmers constantly. And so if there's ever an issue with beans, then I talk to her about it and she can talk to the farmer about it. And oftentimes, you know, we won't just tell the farmer. Uh, Oftentimes we'll try and offer a solution as well with the farmer. We're not just, you know, we want to maintain good relationships and we also want to be helpful. Um, and not just, you know, reject their beans and stop working with them because we weren't happy with them one time. Um, That's definitely not our approach, and it's not wise either for us to work that way. Yeah, if there's an issue with the beans, farmers are usually quite receptive to the the feedback that that we give them, and they are very, they're open to, okay, doing a better job drawing, and we'll help them out if there's some equipment or infrastructure that they need. Are you seeing more farmers that are interested in in getting into the planting of fine cacao? It's a little bit of a precarious situation in Vietnam because there are other crops that are more profitable. Um, Maybe not more, but but some of the farmers that we work with, they've gotten, they get really into it along with us. They're, you know, if we give them feedback about fermentation and the quality of their beans, they're very meticulous and they want to improve. And so they, some of them are enthusiastic about it or, you know, the other, the other day, actually, I went on a sourcing trip and one of the farmers, he'd done a, he separated a, a pod from each different variety that he has on his farm in a fermentation batch so we could do a cut test and taste each different variety. And that was pretty special because they're usually all mixed. But yeah, that was very cool. And that was very cool that the farmer was curious and excited about doing that too. And of course, for him, it's a good idea because then if we give the feedback about which varieties are best, you know, he can go ahead and plant more of those. Uh, It's better for everyone. For sure. No, it's his own R&D lab too. So that's incredible that he's able to take that initiative to apply essentially the standards of of innovation and curiosity that you have to his own plantation. Right. Right. Love that. Love that. I was going to ask you if chocolate and cacao was a part of your everyday diet, but it does, it sounds like it is. (laughs) Of course it is, but it's part of my job because I also, I test every batch that comes out. I taste it. It's a whole different experience now for me to eat chocolate when it's at work at the factory and to eat chocolate outside of the factory. (laughs) But I surprisingly still really enjoy eating it outside of the factory. And I get really excited about tasting other people's chocolate. It's more exciting now than it was before I worked in a chocolate factory because I'm so used to our chocolate that it's even more interesting to notice how other people's chocolate is different from ours. So I'm... I still, you know, we have boxes full of bars that we've gathered at events and, you know, Northwest Festival and Festival in Paris and, you know, been to barmakers always share bars. And so we have boxes here full of bars and it's still like a treat to after lunch come in and open up a new one and <laughs> taste a new bar. I still really enjoy it. I'm not, I'm not totally sick and over chocolate. That's good news for all of us. <laughs> well, we'll close with a little bit more about you in a way if there's something that I have missed or something that you suddenly say to yourself 
Oh gosh, that's something that I would want to share because it's an important part of my day or important part of my role or would inspire someone else who might be endeavoring on something similar, either an origin pod tree to bar or just a small factory somewhere. Like a final thought. It doesn't have to be necessarily about your day. It's just you know, from where you stand now with Maru and from where you've come from, uh, either something you've learned or something that would be imperative for someone listening to get an idea of either how you spend your days or... If they were interested in following some of your footsteps, what maybe would be necessary for them to get a better handle on? I definitely think passion and enthusiasm are some of the most important things because that's mostly what's gotten me here is that just I never get bored of it or tired of it. And so that's how you keep learning. Yeah, if you don't have the, the enthusiasm, it's very limited. And it is really enriching to have an experience in the country of origin, both making chocolate and sourcing the cacao, just because you you have no boundaries as to how much you can learn from each step of the process. You know, for me, I'm, I consider myself really fortunate to be able to participate in sourcing outings and learning about the beans and tasting the different beans, seeing the fermentation process, and then also getting to work really closely with the chefs who then transform our chocolate in the cafe. If you're interested in chocolate and cacao, there's no better place than to go to Origin and to be in a company that does everything with chocolate and with cacao. That's been very, very special for me. Thank you. That's fabulous. And I would just end on that note as well that I think it's so special and amazing that regardless of the kilometers or the miles that stand between us, we can all gather and learn from another in these sessions and, and even further through other pieces of education and elements of the community. So thank you for making time today and on a work day. And we'll let you get back to tasting and creating. We're actually expanding the factory too, and we have a bunch of new machines to test. So that's also going to be my next project. So pretty excited. Very cool. Well, thank you, Chloe. And a huge hello also to everybody at Maru. We're, I'm saying collectively, we're, we're big fans. Thanks so much for listening. It's so great to have you a part of this community. This week, I really relied heavily on sisterhood and some of my most cherished mentors, and I'm really proud to be able to speak to you about an opportunity this September. I will be hosting a retreat with the lovely Sophia of Projet Chocolat and Tamara of Batch Craft, who are also on podcast episodes of Well Tempered, and we would love to have you be a part of our gathering in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It's surely going to be an event to be surrounded by the amazing Ortiz Mountains and to reconnect and to uh, remind ourselves of why we're a part of this incredible industry in the first place. If you have any questions about that, feel free to reach out to me directly through social media or through my contact form on my website. And of course, the show notes for today are available at weekendchocolate.com forward slash podcast. That's weekend spelled W-K-N-D. Feedback is always appreciated as well as leaving a review on iTunes so that we can ensure that more of these episodes are able to reach other people who might care about fine cacao and chocolate or just being able to be in a world where we thrive as business owners or people who care about other people.